Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, Introducing Communities of Work, we are joined by Valerie Garrett, Vice President and Director of Workplace Design at Fifth Third Bank, and Dr. Justin Ferguson, Lead Strategist at BHDP. With the rapidly shifting nature of work, Valerie and Justin have begun to explore a new concept to create place in the workplace. Through speaking engagements, articles, and white papers, our guests have introduced communities of work, a way for organizations to support teams and employee relationships, while putting people's success at the forefront of workplace design. From Valerie's perspective, learn how she and the Fifth Third team have navigated a return to workplace through a headquarters renovation amid the pandemic, while Justin offers his insights on community design and place from his experiences as both a strategist and academic in workplace design. I am your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP. Let's get started. So one of the things we want to talk about today is a new interesting term, something that I didn't know about, but something that you've been dealing with through your work together at Fifth Third Bank. We're going to talk about uh, communities of work. So I want to know, first and foremost, what is a community of work? We've heard that term in other places like communities of healing, communities of learning, communities of worship even. And so to think about how people come together typically around like a shared goal, objectives, and come together to share that. And so we can think of when people come to work, they're really working in a community. And just like in outside of work, lots of communities make up one big community. At work, you have different teams. Each team could be a community, but you really have overarching team of the actual organization. The way that I think about this, Brian, is if you, th- if you think about socially people who are doing life in community, and you think about what that looks like, it usually means that they're doing life together in this very personal, integrated way. So if they're in a similar life stage, they might be in one another's homes on occasion. They might attend one another's children's sports events or musical events. And they do life together in this really supportive way. When I think about communities of work, What that translates into is a group of people working together in this very supportive, integrated way. Within a community, there are appropriate boundaries. It doesn't mean everybody's always involved in everybody's, you know, the minutia of everything that they do for work. But it means that, that again, they're, they're doing work together. They are working toward a common goal in this very supportive, integrated fashion. Some of the things within communities of work that I've read about was we talk about sociocultural and how that relates to work. What is sociocultural and, and how does that relate to work? Uh, a lot of times, you know, we think of it as being the social, the cultural, and then we can think about the physical attributes of the space. And so as we think about space, just being generic space, we really want to start thinking about place. And we're not talking about like, placemaking very at a superficial level. Like if we just throw throw string lights out there, that doesn't make something that's really special to a community. But if we start to think about the social aspects, right, the activities that need to be supported and reflected, in the cultural, we're thinking about the shared meanings and values. And then the physical, like the attributes, the physical attributes of it, right? And so if we can get those three, all three of those really touching those aspects, we make the framework, but they bring the life to that. 
And so that's where that sociocultural comes is we're trying to make sure that we focus on that, not just the physical, right? Not just the furniture, not just the workplace. We're trying to make it a place of work where people can come together and have that shared, you know, values, their activities, and really come together for that shared goal. Yeah, because Valerie, you were talking about people being at similar life stages. How are you thinking about that at Fifth Third in regards to the stage setting or even the set dressing? There are so many nuances to this. So when we think about a a personal community, people who live in community personally and socially, I think that's where life stage comes in. When I think about translating that concept into a community of work, what comes to mind is I may or may not be personal friends with everybody that I work with, but the reality is we work with people, we do business with people that we like. We've known that in business for a long, long time. And so when you talk about the power of space as it pertains to communities of work, it really is setting the stage. That's a great way to put it, setting the stage for people to come together and do what they do best. And I think that there is a social component of that, and it varies in depth from person to person. Have you established these communities, or is this like a work in progress? One of the things that I joke about from a career perspective is I never imagined being a designer working in a bank, right? Like it wasn't my next new cool thing to do. But what I have found is a culture that is very collaborative, very supportive. And so when we think about the space as a stage, we don't have to formally say, hey, you and you and you and a couple of you over here, like you are going to now be a community of work. The way that we work at the bank There is certainly a shared vision. It's woven into the culture. It is at the center of and the heart of everything that we do. And people come together around that pretty readily. What we have done over the last several years is create a stage for them to do that. People need a place to to make that culture come to life in the work that they do. And so you create spaces to enable them to do that, and it happens pretty naturally. Communities aren't created top down in order to be a community it really has to be that bottom up as valerie speaking to like the people that work there they are creating their communities they can't do it for them and so the forum i think is a good spot of like there's all these different work settings that they can work in they can move stuff it's adaptable and they can create spaces that actually support what they want to do they decide what they need to do in that moment now there might be other places that are created within the building But again, what's funny is around place, you know, those special spaces for communities is they can be seen by different communities and groups in different ways. Monuments are very contested, right? For one group, it means this. For another group, it means that. So there isn't always that shared view of it, but it is for each of those different communities involved. And so I think that will, you know, at Fifth Third, because you have so much different space, so many different places people will have different perspectives and have a sense of attachment to those different places. Why is reimagining work and workplace becoming the catalyst now for organizational success? Because that's the big thing. People want to know what's going to make us successful. And that seems the focus seems to be on work and workplace. I mean, you know, Brian, that I'm passionate about universal human need. Yes. And some of the things that human beings desire are things like choice, freedom. These are innate. Um, I want to be trusted to make good choices. I want to be free to make those choices. 
and when we think about the future of work and the emphasis of the way that we work as a means of being successful, I think it has become undeniable for leaders that people must have those things to thrive. There are some elements of that that you put some guardrails around. So as we're coming out of COVID-19, organizations are thinking about like, like how do we approach workplace from a flexible hybrid, you know, et cetera. One of the questions is, well, what about culture? And if you have new people that come on board, so um, how, how do they catch the culture? Sometimes you put some guardrails around those freedoms and as you build trust, but those are things that people want. And I think it, they've, they've become undeniable. If I can't get the freedom and the trust that I'm going to make good choices as a professional at my tenure, then I'm going to go find it elsewhere. I'm not saying that for me personally. I'm not planning to leave the bank. I have a lot of support, but that's the ethos, right? Like like if I can't find the situation that I want here, I'll find it somewhere else. And people are moving around at a tremendous rate right now. So I think that's a contributor. I think there are some things that, that human beings generally want, generally desire, that have become undeniable for leaders. And you will not be successful if you can't create a culture that allows those things. And that's just it, is I think there for too long, there's been a blind eye towards a lot of that culture and the social aspect of it. For too long, as I said, you know, it's been on that physical aspect, right? We're going to design this to create the culture, right? And it, as opposed to, we need to design to reflect the culture, to support building culture. And so, again, it's that neighborhood mentality versus having the community mentality. How do people get to use it? What do they need? How will they be best supported? As opposed to how many people can I fit in here for the cheapest rate, right, to do the most amount of work to get revenue? (laughs) That's an interesting point, Justin. And you're both talking about culture. But one of the things that I'm noticing when you talk about communities of work and things like, you know, communities of faith and such, within that culture, there's a value structure. And I think that as long as the values expressed within the culture are aligned with somebody's individual purpose, that's where I'm seeing where people are less likely to leave, you know, because they feel valued themselves, but they also agree with the values of the organization. They're like, yeah, I really want to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. This means a lot to me. Um, I also think, Brian, that we're actually reimagining leadership more than we're reimagining work. If we think about something like activity-based working, yes. which we've been talking about in, the, in our industry for a long, long time, it wasn't that people weren't engaged in different behaviors at work before somebody called it activity-based working. Right. Yeah, it was already right. happening, had been happening for a long time. Yep. As technology enabled it to happen, it happened at greater leaps. I think we're at a at a place now where people have been taking flexibility in some instances that they needed, whether the organization, quote, allowed it right. or not. Right. And what we have an opportunity to do now, I think the greatest opportunity we have now is a leadership opportunity. If we give people the spaces that will support what they really need and want, and we create a culture that engages them. And again, we talked about engaged people being the engine of a successful organization. This is a leadership opportunity. And 
particularly in the area of mid-level leadership where that's kind of the band in the organization for many organizations that have struggled with what I somewhat crassly call meet in the seat leadership. <laughs> like <laughs> if I can see you and you are planted in the chair where I can right. see you, you're doing the work. Meet in the seat. Um, that must be what it means. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah. it's for the those managers, they're getting it from both ends. As I see it, they're the ones in the trenches because they've got to deal with rank and file but then they're also working from above with leadership coming down on them, senior leadership and such. So they're, it's really the critical spot is to get them trained, you know, even more so than employees because they have to manage that way and figure it out. Right. And right. so I think, like you said, it's less about the workplace. I mean, it's hard for me to say as an architect, and, you know, and I'm seeing how much more it is about the experience of work. And it's so much about change. It's so much about, in terms of culture, it's behavior. It's team norms. It's expectations. It's those things that really need to get worked out versus where the desk goes or not. Mm -hmm. Because the workplace could be great, but if we don't get the other stuff worked out, like behaviors and leadership, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter how good the space it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and that, that is the biggest mind shift set that we've seen where organizations are having the most success is when they're practicing new ways of engaging with employees. So it's not about managers checking on people doing their work. It's about managers checking on people. Mm -hmm. And, hey, how's, how's it going? Anything stressing you out? You know, what kind of help do you need? And the job can be tracked. There's software for that now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, we know what tasks everybody's been assigned with. There's ways to measure that productivity based on results. So let's manage the person, not the work. And it's not managing the work of the person to make sure they're still doing it. It's just making sure they have everything they need. I think that's true. I think also there's an onus on the individual mm -hmm. to own your own career. If you want flexibility, particularly as part of a community of work, there are a few things that you need to do yourself to claim that. Number one is perform. If you're not a trustworthy performer to begin with, your leaders are going to struggle to give you the level of flexibility that you want. Right. Number two is communicate. If you're communicating regularly and you're engaged in that way, that is a trust builder. And the third one is be proactive about both of those things. If your leaders always have to come to you versus you updating them, again, that's, that's something that can erode trust. But then what we're going to see now, because hybrid, the sense of flexibility, is that we're going to have to do it at team level as well, right? So those individuals are going to have to check in with the other individuals of their community, not from a oversight standpoint, but just if I need to get a hold of you to get information or something, I need to know where and when you are because we're going to have people working anytime, anywhere. So that means there needs to be more communication, <laughs> and that means teams are going to have to come together like – really to, to plan out their week of where you're going to be working this week because you might not be in every day. When's the best time to get a hold of you? When's the best time for us to work together? And that's the tricky thing is at having to do that now at the team. It used to be the individual just thought about themselves. Now it's more, even more so of thinking about, you know, your community and how it works best. I read an article recently that I thought was interesting because you talk about culture within your work, but then when you start thinking about subcultures, you know, the people's personal identities, sometimes in certain cultural groups, certain things like self-promotion are considered not acceptable. 
where management skills could be improved are understanding personality differences, even like subculture references, you know, like we have people here that they were raised, don't brag on yourself. That's gauche. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to, if I want to get promoted because my manager's looking over so many people, maybe they just, they're like, okay, they must be happy because they haven't said anything. If I go back to this analogy of, of living in community with my, my friends and loved ones, right? That's a place where you're well-supported. It's also a place where you grow. And so if you translate that to a community of work where we're all driving toward a common goal together and supporting one another in the work that we do, that should be a place of professional growth. And part of growing professionally is that my leaders will encourage the good things that they see in me and they will call out the areas where I need to grow what you shared is wholly relevant. And again, it goes back to how does a leader help develop people in a community of work? You know, it's again, all levels through that community, people are at different levels and leadership has to walk the talk. They have to show how these things are done, right? If, if it's important that people take a break, get some respite and recharge at lunchtime, leaders need to do that to show them it's okay. It's all right to go sit out on the fountain square and read for a little bit just because you need to get away because that's going to make you a better employee mm-hmm. because you're feeling better about yourself, your wellness, all of that. It's just good for the entire organization. Right. What is social capital? Social capital is like the glue that holds groups, communities, organizations together, teams. You build capital just like you do financial capital. Right, As you work with your team, you work with people, you help each other out, you support each other, that builds social capital, that glue that binds you together. And so the more you have of that, the more you can, you can bank it, <laughs> right? You can spend it if you need to do something like, hey, guys, we really got to come in this weekend to work on this. Well, if you've built up good social glue with everybody, they're like, okay, we understand why. We don't have to do this every weekend. This must be important. Versus, you know, if you don't have that social capital and say, hey, you got to come this weekend, no one's going to want to do it. We're not a team. So when you see those really teams that are working well together and really building that that social capital, you know, it's going to be so much more, you know, from business side, productive, effective, but from the social side, just a better environment for work. Yeah, I would say social capital is something that leaders build. It's also something that peers build. And you build it through things like integrity, commitment, hard work, gratitude, tremendous social capital. My team works very hard every single day to produce what they produce. And that builds a lot of social capital with me. I know they're doing that. If somebody needs to take a day, my response is take a day. I mean, I I clearly see what you're doing day in and day out. And the same is true for me as a leader. How have Fifth Third's people reacted to this community of work approach? What have been the payoffs? So it's not formally called out as a community of work. It generally isn't. What we're doing is we're creating spaces for human beings and... Human beings take to that when it's being done for them in in a thoughtful and positive way. There are a couple of really beautiful examples of this, though, that I can share. One is, so we had the stay-at-home orders. During that time, we built out Project Connect, which is our new front door and our atrium. The forum was a part of that. That uh, space completed during that time as well. 
as people came back, you could hear, I will say, palpable joy. It was not only that they were seeing one another for the first time in a long time, but it was that they were reconnecting in this space that was uniquely designed for connection, like literally to connect buildings, figuratively to connect a campus, a group of people, and a culture. And you could hear exclamations of people coming together. And it was really fun to watch. What you see on an ongoing basis, if you go into the forum, we have sort of this front section of of this very large space. And it is activated almost all the time, I'll say midweek. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just about any time you go into that space, there are people populating all kinds of different settings because it's a really varied environment. The other thing that creating this stage has allowed us to do is be on mission through through the pandemic, through the stay-at-home orders as we've come back and the bookends before and after. Our mission as a bank is to keep the customer at the center of everything that we do. So those are some examples of the way it's come to life and continues to live itself out in that space and how people are kind of taking to it. That makes me think about the sense that we're running into now as we're, you know, two years into this, this idea of communities can be virtual, right? And for a lot of the digital natives, their communities are digital. That's where their friends are, some friends I've never even met. So it's this merging of worlds of where communities happen. They don't just have to be, you know in a physical place. And so I think the next frontier with hybrid and experience of work is a sense of how do we leverage work experiences between remote and on-site, mm-hmm. right? So how do we really bring in people that are working remote digitally into our physical spaces? So it's not just, well, it's just a TV on a wall, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a screen, but like, how are we coming up with ways to capture the pre and post meeting organic conversations? How are we making our social hubs, our cafes that people can drop into that are remote, right? So it's not just something that's designed for the people that are there, but the people that are working remote can take part in that as well as still be a part of the community. Yeah, and Valerie, something you brought up, a gift that you gave to the employees was the ability to return to something uniquely different. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, we've done this so you can be together. And I think a lot of places are struggling with where we're coming back, but we're coming back to something that's practically been mothballed. You know, oh, everything's exactly the same. We're not doing anything different. And that's where I think the expectations really plays into it Mm -hmm. is that as employees come back, they expect there to be the health and safety measures taken to change things. But there's also expectation of our way of working has changed. So why would we come back to a workplace that looks like it did two years ago? Mm-hmm. I think it's really tough to come into tired space mm. that is not fully supportive of the human experience at work. And it's further made difficult for organizations when, in my opinion, they dictate, well, we're all going to be here Tuesday, mm-hmm. Thursday, and Friday. Yeah. Or we're, that's not flexibility. Right. And so 
let's don't call something flexible that's not flexible. When you couple that with coming into old space, that gets pretty tough for people pretty quickly. Right. Uh, because the question is, well, then why? Yeah. Why should I be here? If you have a stage where people can come together, the why begins to reveal itself pretty quickly because you hear things like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen you in so long. And you also have teams who have spent time apart. They understand what can work about that, but they also understand what doesn't work about that. And they've learned the reasons to physically come together. And to your point earlier about understanding culturally what I can and cannot claim, people are also learning when they're able to say, you know what, I just have this one meeting with you today that's going to require me to be on site. Are you okay if we do that remote or, or tomorrow when I'll be there? And so I think people are learning to navigate that. Having a stage where physically coming together is, a, is fully supportive, and not only is it supportive, but it's energizing, is really very powerful in helping people make those choices. Yeah, and it, it's really coming down to, to purpose now. Right. And for employees, they didn't have that decision making power before. It was I go to the office for eight hours a day, every day, do my work. And now there's this sense of like you need a purpose for what you're doing. And so it's and we have to get down into the granular where it's not even I'm coming in because there's a meeting, because if it's just an exchange of information, you don't need to be in person. And so that begs the question for people listening to this, I'm sure. Okay, then what? What is it about those spaces that will actually draw people? And I think there are a couple of things. You know, we talked about the things that human beings need. Are they light? Are they bright? Are those spaces energizing? Are they on brand as a communication of your culture? So does it feel like it fits who you are as an organization? But you referenced something earlier, Justin, that I think is also really powerful, which is is there some level of, and this isn't the way that you that you put it, but is there some level of hackability to that space? Mm-hmm. Can the team make it their own? Right. So if I do need to come together for a certain kind of a, a session, so for us it might be a charrette or a design thinking session, can I modify the space? Is there enough flexibility that I can make it support what I'm trying to do that day for that very specific reason that I'm coming together? And it's not always that reason. Sometimes I'm on site just because I haven't been on site in a while and I Mm -hmm. want to see and be seen. But is there some level of flexibility and hackability to a part of that space that makes it far more supportive than other spaces that I might choose, like my house or, uh, or any other space for that matter? Yeah, and if I feel like you're getting to the essence of belonging, you know, do I belong here, and does this space belong to me? Do I feel comfortable here enough to maybe modify the space for what we need for the day, and know that it's okay? There's that level of trust and autonomy that you talked about before, too, right? I think that's absolutely. Those are powerful things. Very much so, Valerie. Always a pleasure to have you in. Likewise. Thank you for coming, Thank you. Justin. Hopefully it was pain-free. It was lovely. Perfect. Thank you both very much. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, for this episode, Introducing Communities of Work, with Valerie Garrett, Vice President and Director of Workplace Design at Fifth Third Bank, and Dr. Justin Ferguson, Lead Strategist at BHDP. If you appreciate what you have heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.